Hey, Matthew here, with a quick note before we get started. As you know, Scaffold is supported by the Architecture Foundation, a London-based nonprofit that produces events, exhibitions, films, and books that spark debate about the built environment in London and abroad. What you might not know is that the Architecture Foundation has an app. It's called the London Architecture Guide. Launched in partnership with Brockton Capital, it's a free guide to the architecture of London, incorporating over a thousand of the city's most remarkable buildings from Roman times to the present day. The app is based on an acclaimed book by architectural writers Edward Jones and Christopher Woodward and includes an ever-expanding set of entries, photography, walking directions, and event listings. Thanks to the generous support of Brockton Capital, the app is free to download for everyone. Whether you're visiting London for the first time, discovering new buildings, or getting to know your own neighborhood, this is the app to help you explore London's stunning and often hidden architectural riches. To get the download, just search for London Architecture Guide in the App Store or on Google Play, or follow the link in the show notes. All right, now onto the show. I'm Matthew Blunderfield, and you're listening to Scaffold. This week, I speak with Melissa Hanif and Akil and Seth Scaife-Smith, who together run the interdisciplinary design collective Resolve. Resolve work at the edges of architectural practice, combining engineering, technology, and art to address issues of identity and equity in the built environment. They've delivered projects and workshops, publications and talks in the UK and across Europe, and approach design itself as a mechanism for political and socioeconomic change. Resolve's work often takes the form of ephemeral environments, constructed of upcycled materials, which serve as venues for rich and varied cultural programs, which are themselves organized and curated by the collective. One of Resolve's most recent projects, Them's the Breaks, which was part of the Barbican Center's Curve Gallery program this past summer, took precisely this format, transforming the gallery into a material library and community space, where waste material became a literal platform for a range of events, from workshops and debates to club nights and raves. Them's the Breaks was arguably Resolve's most ambitious project to date pushing the capacity of a major cultural institution to work harder and in novel ways to serve new and broader audiences. It was a kind of stress test that the Barbican and Resolve embarked on, and ultimately, something did break. After Resolve experienced hostilities and censorship from Barbican staff, they published an open letter explaining their decision to end the exhibition prematurely. In our conversation, we focus on this exhibition and its fallout, and among other things, resolves renewed ambitions to critique and transform existing cultural institutions. So here it is, my interview with Resolve Collective. When we talk about architecture, we think about form and space and material. But when we talk about the kind of social practice that groups like Resolve embark on, often it's immaterial or it's at least transient and prioritizes social exchange over any kind of lasting artifact. What I'm drawn to is this puzzle of what is the artifact of the work when it comes to projects by Resolve. I mean, there's also a question of does there need to be one? 
with the artifact, I think we have, it's probably important to also note that there is one artifact, right? There's one permanent project, which with Fuku Goro, who a close collaborator of Brixton Architect, amazing mind, we did Brixton, the bridge with, the bridge in Brixton. And that, in the very, in a very kind of straightforward sense, is very much still there and hopefully we'll be there for some time. So that lasts in some way. And this is just for listeners who aren't familiar. It's a bridge in Brixton with a mural that's been painted on it. Yeah, that says, uh, uh, come in love, stay in peace. Uh, inspired by like the kind of vexillology of Caribbean flags, but also thinking about how we kind of um, how we um, archive uh, uh, and and leave the mark of Afro-Caribbean presences within the urban environment. So, a, an interesting approach, but but also perhaps not necessarily entirely reflective of some of the things that we, we, we we've, we've kind of meandered our way towards now. I mean, the uh, artifact is to me the image. It has a lot to do with the way events are documented and specifically the way they're photographed so that you tend to work with the same photographer for at least the events in London. And what's being captured is relationships unfolding, dialogues occurring, interactions that are happening over a set period of time in a place or within a kind of infrastructure that's then dismantled and redistributed. With the image, Although we're, we're interested in how we document things via images, I think as well the, there's, an, there's an acknowledgement within our practice that the image hasn't captured all of it and that there's so much around every project that happens at the time, happens right then and there. Uh, and it's around being part of that moment or being somehow affected by the moment, having your practice, practice nurtured by that moment. Uh, and the, whilst the photos do do those things there is something duplicitous about photos about all photos in some ways you know it's almost like translation and translation being aligned in that the it's showing one it's showing the it's showing the most dynamic part the most aesthetic part the most kind of a agreeing part of that project um and somehow kind of erasing the part where it was really dusty and rainy and dirty that day and things weren't working. Or the time where like people were working together to try and figure something out and we failed, we didn't get that done. Or the time when like there was, you know, we, we ran into administrative problems because of one thing or another. And it's like, how, what embeds those processes? What is the artifact of those processes? I think the artifact of those processes are, are people. Uh, I think actually like, and this is coming into the week that we just held last week, um, when we can trace the trajectories of people we've interacted with uh, and when we can see and when we can hear and when we're in dialogue with them around these kind of like similar themes where we can see how our practice has impacted and affected theirs and vice versa, I think those are the artefacts, these, these, these real living artefacts um, of what's happened and the, the, the idea to continue to nurture those um, particularly with younger generations, but very much so also with contemporaries, um, I think is like an ambition, is like an artifactual ambition in some way. I mean, maybe, Melissa, could you tell me more about what actually happened last week? <laughs> what happened, happened indeed. In, in Sheffield. <laughs> yeah, so um, we held a, um, the residency, it's called Nurturing Ecology, so we held this um, week res- week-long residency in Sheffield, Mm-hmm. Um, which was a peer-to-peer learning week um, inviting around 30 um, black POC or um, people from marginalised communities um, to share and exchange and um, and gather in Sheffield um, for a week of just learning, a learning, sharing, um, a week of retreat, uh, a week of all of the things that you can imagine you'd want to do in a space of amazingly inspirational people that you've 
come up around or worked with or, or constantly motivated by. Um, we invited them also if they if they wanted to to hold like a, a morning or or an afternoon um, workshop of their choice relating to their practice, something that they wanted to trial or test or rehearse with us as the participants. Uh, we also held a few sessions ourselves um, called drafting days, which were essentially um, understanding the the systems and the the people and the organisations that have. Um, that have influenced our practice and how we started and also thinking about where we're going in the future and who's there and, and how that works and offering advice and um, and sharing in challenges and, and, and those types of things. One of the days we did a tour around the city um, with an audio guide by Mark Hutchinson. Uh, he's a local historian. Um, as well as um, Rob Cotterall, who is um, one of the directors of Sadaka, which is an Afro-Caribbean um, community centre in Sheffield, which we have a, a long-standing relationship with. Essentially, this was like a, a big rehearsal space for, for all of these organisations. We really encourage this idea of testing and practising because we're all working so hard on you know, our, individual, our individual things and our individual um, movements. Um, that we don't get given the opportunity to just try, try something that we're thinking about, try something that we're that we know might fail um, in a safe environment. And I think that was really special. And I think it was really felt amongst all the participants that they didn't feel like they were on. They felt very comfortable and at ease, and that you know conversations could happen with a lot of understanding and and, and compassion for the hard work that they're putting in, but also just to try something you know very very comfortably. Um, so that when it does go out into the world, they know that it's come, that the advice and the support has come from a, a safe and, and supportive space. Mm. Um, That's interesting. This idea of the rehearsal is somehow uh, encapsulating a lot of the work that you do. Mm. Um, it reminds me of the artist statement you wrote for the Barbican exhibition, which included in the margins the various edits that mm. members of the team had made. And so it wasn't a final product, it was a provisional one. And you were really drawing a line under the fact that everything was contingent, subject to change, in question. It was a process and not the product that you were focusing on. Mm. I wonder if it's a good time to talk about the Barbican Project or if that's something that you'd be willing to discuss. <laughs> yeah, 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 we can do, we can do. I mean, um, I understand it's um, it's a heated topic. It's obviously, it was a real challenge and distressing. Um, so if I ask any questions that cross the line, just let me know. Yeah, yeah it's all good. I was going to say there's one more thing to be said about the nurturing ecologies thing, which leads into the Barbican thing as well, which is that, that like, and it it's also ties into what you're talking about, about rehearsals and about artifacts, which is that... Um, the, these relationships and the people who are invited are people that we have either worked with or come across in some way, shape or form. Some people we've collaborated with, some people that we're hoping to collaborate with, some people that we're inspired by like Civic Square and Maya and Healing Justice London and other organisations that we're looking to kind of develop our practice with like Nathaniel Telemach and Andre from Freedom and Balance and these, these kinds of things. But the important thing about it is that what you if you if a lot of the work that we've done isn't public a lot of the work that we've done for our, 
because of our own limited resources in archiving and in developing a, like a, t a website and things. Um, so it's kind of sometimes difficult to see how we have um, morphed through our development as a practice. Sometimes it's, it looks as if what we did in 2018 and what we did in 2021 look and feel similar. And actually it's about scaling operation when actually what we have, what we have done is we have continued to morph and transition our ideas about what our impact is. Um, and it's meant that the practice has, has changed in those moments, moments where we, we um, you know, space has been an important thing, but there are moments where we're talking about kind of agency and access then became kind of critiques of institution. And we started to really talk about institutional critique. Um, and we then, with that, came this idea about building infrastructure. Um, and you'll see, you would see, if, you, if we were to lay out all of the projects, you'd be able to see that we're slowly working our way toward this idea of building infrastructure. Um, and last week was, a, was, a, was case in point. Last week, the, the kind of, the way that we, um, you know, operationalize, whatever, the instrumentalize, the way that we kind of take forward the work that we did last week is, is about building infrastructures and, and trying to work in an infrastructural capacity in order to continue to facilitate practices like that, um, as well as do work within local spaces, particularly in Croydon. Um, and that means that the kind of, the, the, again, there'll be another transition in the way that we work and the outputs that you see. And perhaps then you'll start to see um, what, what maybe what people might be familiar with as an artifact or maybe not like the artifact itself is kind of is almost challenged by this idea of operating infrastructurally because it's not as much around the product and the thing that is created as it is around the ability for that thing to continue to produce and to distribute resources um, and to facilitate further um, and that's where the Barbican comes in right is because the Barbican was 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 too was like that um, Yes, and I mean, this is for me where there's so much traction around this distinction between the product and the process. Mm -hmm. Because when we talk about your collaborations with institutions, of which there have been many, or there are many more now, with the Hetnoy Institute, with the VNA East, and then with this kind of experiment in Sheffield of, in a way, constructing your own institution, embedded in that is this practice probably that derive from an art practice around institutional critique. But in any case, it's a practice that needs some form of representation if it's going to be an exhibition in a gallery. And so for me, this is where we can start to talk about what is the, what is the aesthetic practice or what is the material representation of immaterial um, social process. So. And if we talk about the Barbican exhibition, the way it started uh, and the way it presented itself to a broad public, um, the way I encountered it was initially as a kind of material library mm. taking place inside of the White Walk Gallery, inside of this august institu cultural institution in the middle of London. So you have the gallery full of stuff that you've scavenged from other exhibitions, material that might be useful to someone who may not have known it existed in the first place. And above every specimen, 
there was a kind of QR code or barcode that you could scan and send in a request for so that at the end of the exhibition, uh, you'd be considered um, as a candidate to receive this material that could then be used, you know, differently, have a kind of afterlife. So you're as resolved as a practice, you're positioning yourself in the flow of waste material and affording it a new life um, to a deserving group of users, I guess. So that has a certain appearance to it, which is about the kind of heterogeneous collage of stuff. And a lot of the images that circulated around the exhibition and even around the teaching that you do at the AA have to do with this kind of bundle of things (laughs) being forcefully moved, often in spaces where they don't appear to belong. So if we think of the kind of masshead image, it's a bunch of people working hard to push a cart of what what might appear to be junk Mm -hmm. down the street towards something (laughs) where it could be afforded a new a new life in a way and then on the other side of that is a social program or a kind of soft soft infrastructure if you will of events debates and other kind of public engagements which maybe you could talk more about or elaborate for me yeah, I mean, in the spirit of now, like, you know, really trying to say the things, say what we want into existence, I wanted to just give one note on infrastructure because we're going to say the word infrastructure a lot in this talk, mm-hmm. that when we talk about trying to build and create infrastructure, I think we're talking about the lights, you know? We're talking about, like, the sewers. We're talking about, like, the NHS. Um, I, I don't think we're... we're, we're in, we don't mean infrastructure in, in, in an intangible way mm-hmm. and that we haven't reached that... Uh, that that we haven't reached that depth of practice um, is just around where we are right now. Because when we think about redistributing resource, when we think about redistributing material, when we think about redistributing knowledges uh, within that practice, that is what the aim and the scale is. We're really enticed by this idea of redistributive systems and how in, the, how in Croydon we do that, how in the North we do that, how nationally we do that, how globally that gets done. Um, so, and, I, and because I know that infrastructure can sometimes be, not misused, but it can, it can mean a very, it's the, the broad church of things underneath the, 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 the scope of infrastructure. Maybe it's what the word ecology is being used for when you talk about social networks. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you know like when Imi is talking about how, um, you know, the prototype for the NHS was a group of practitioners in North Wales um, who, were, who were testing out this idea of community dispersed health infrastructure and that happened at the scale of a small town uh, like, and, and, and then becomes um, a, a, a national infrastructure. I'm thinking like the, these, the, I think those are the models and that's also why the idea of an artifact can sometimes be, um, uh, it can sometimes feel like it doesn't quite fit the practice because we don't work with products, we don't work with the production of, um, of an output but rather we're kind of interested in processes. Um, like that is because I think that that is that is the trajectory. That's the kind of trajectory in which we're trying our best to, to, to get towards. Um, with the Barbican, the Barbican was all the things that you said, and I think the um, it's probably also worth noting that the artist statement was written by George Kafka, uh, and George Kafka is someone who we we, we are very very close with. We is part of this, this this ecology. We met him in the Future of Architecture platform, uh, and have been very close ever since, and. That's a good example of how the delivery of everything other than the materials that were there 
uh, was part of this ecological delivery. You know, George wrote the text. The public programme was made up by the practices of tons and tons of other uh, practitioners and groups. We offered the space out to be used by those practitioners and groups so people were able to just use the space as and when when they wanted. The depth of freestylers were using it when they wanted to do rehearsals, for example. We were having, we had raves in there with gut level, uh, etc. Um, and so there was an element of it in which we were also trying to celebrate, we were also trying to platform and celebrate in, a, in, in this kind of prestigious space, this network. We were trying to emphasize the collective part of the practice and saying that like this 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 is the group this is the gang like this, this is an ecology in which everyone can play some part in and we can't and we don't work individually we, we only work within this uh we only work as an extension of that and so that was um that was a that was that was a lot of it and and i think the the material practice uh then was also I mean, it very much fall, It very much fell within the realms of institutional critique. We were looking at uh, this idea of waste material and how we position ourselves within the flow of materials from art productions and art institutions, and so that's why we were taking those things. We had asked the question, what happens after the Barbican? Uh, and so we were really interested in this idea of institutional decline. Uh, and what we wanted to do was not say, what we didn't want to do, what we wanted to distance ourselves from was institutional regeneration. Uh, and to be brought in, which is something, is something that happens very often with artists of colour, uh, that they're brought in to solve the, 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 the kind of uh, the, the, the failures of, of large creative institutions. Uh, we wanted to distance ourselves from that and say, we're actually interested in, interested in institutional decline. Mm. We're, interested, we're interested in what happens in the cracks of a failing institution uh, and what happens after, after the crumbling of that institution. Uh, and so the material was a way of kind of, re of, of like making tangible that argument. Mm. It kind of put together this, the, um, the, the, the conceptual idea and made it something that rather than you read, because you could have read that. I mean, I think it might, might have been slightly more coherent if we had just put it into an essay. Uh, it was something you could sit on. The idea of institutional decline is something you can sit on, it's something you can play with, it's something you can write on, it's something that you can stamp, it's something that you can take home. Um, it's the things in which you're, you're realising and understanding and embodying part of an exhibition, but without the usual passivity. Um, and so it was really important for us, and it's always very important for us to, be, to, to use material process in that way, in a way that allows people to, to touch those things. Um, because I think that shapes the experience that people are having in the types of exhibitions that we have. And sometimes it's to the detriment of like, legible text. You know, I've seen people in our exhibitions before whiz through them real fast, because what they want to do, what their body wants to do is like look at a, a something like a painting or something and kind of rock back and forth and then kind of like consider it for a little bit and you don't have that there's never that in the, the exhibitions you know you, you, you'd find that a very brief and perhaps kind of um, shallow experience if you're unwilling to run up one of those ramps if you're unwilling to kind of touch some of that material um, if you're unwilling to kind of lay in those spaces and really to be a part of that and I think that's also fine I think it's, it's appealing to like a breadth of experience um, and, and, and there's also a confidence in there which is like if that's not the experience that you want then that's also okay you know National Gallery down the road or whatever um, so th th that was but those those working ideas uh, and that ambition is also what made it a very difficult project um, we've had difficulty with institutions before as, as an organisation that is, as we've described um, but yet we work with lots of institutions so we are 
in institutions but not of them in the same way that we're in certain disciplines but not of those disciplines we often have um there's often a lot of friction between some of those relationships some of the relationships are very uh, amazing relationships but some of the relationships can be quite difficult uh, and it's for the reasons that we kind of stated and with the barbican it was that on steroids um, and, and actually like the the work that we were doing the institutional critique the type of institutional critique that we were engaging with um, I think and, and the way that we were bringing people into the space the way that we were trying to move with like a certain fluidity and adaptability to how things were changing and also how we were intent on also protecting the integrity of those that we were inviting in meant that we, we were the worst candidate for an institution which um, is in decline um, an institution in which which doesn't doesn't quite work uh, and in which the administrative areas the administrative incapabilities of certain institutions then produce the types of violences that we face violences around gender violences around race and identity um, they're the manifested as a result of, in, of institutional capability um, administrative violence perhaps uh, and that is then kind of what we faced uh, and we we were aware of the possibility of that happening uh, we, we said no to the Barbican twice uh, and it was, the, it was under the conviction of John Asprey who is an, one of the most amazing humans to this day that we've had the pleasure of working with. Uh, a true kind of um, mark of the paradox of these institutions that the worst experience we've ever had with an institution also gave us the best relationship we've ever had with a curator. Um, and um, we, we then said yes, we then did the thing and it was because of the relentlessness of a series of, of, of misdemeanors or a series of events. And it was also because of the, the relentlessness to which our position had to be held. Mm -hmm. there, there, there was a line that we weren't going to cross. There were multiple lines that we weren't going to cross, um, which, which is why things happened in the way they did. So, I mean, the conceit for the exhibition was this, this belief in institutional decline and at the same time, a kind of visual and even structural representation of that decline, metaphorically speaking, through the analysis, literally, of the structural breaks in the Barbican mm. as a building. So you were going around measuring cracks and gaps and breakages in the concrete structure of the physical institution and having that stand as a representation for possibility in terms of what what can fill these gaps um, and I think just having heard some of the presentations you've given before there seems to always be this interest in finding a physical analogy or finding an embodied way of explaining what might otherwise be a very abstract idea and obviously structure is something I think societally that we become so much more aware of now uh, when we, when, we do, when we try and identify or explain or represent systemic issues societally, we call them structural issues. Mm -hmm. But can you tell me more about what you did with that analysis and how, how it was represented in the exhibition itself? Mm. But because we operate with this design philosophy that we call using the site as a resource, which is this idea of like appraising and celebrating tacit knowledge but also tacit materials, for us the site then was the Barbican and actually very, very immediately the space in the Barbican. So what we presented prior to the installation and prior to actually putting boots on the ground was an ambition to work with 
the um, production team very, very closely. It meant that we had a loose plan of what was going on. We, the structures had been fabricated, we had designed those structures, but we didn't, everything wasn't telegraphed. We, we were aware that the production team are people who've been working in the Barbican, Mark had been working in the Barbican for like 30 years. Uh, we wanted to harness that knowledge. We wanted to work and play with the knowledge of people who were, were there. And so a lot of things were kind of tests. A lot of the things arose from like, ah, oh, okay, we can do that. You know, like Mel was living in, in the Barbican at that time, right? Living in, in, that, in that installation gallery. And Mel was, do, was kind of <laughs> managing the team. Yeah, I mean, she was, she was managing the curve team like a, like a f football team. Understanding like where people's proclivities were, where it was like, okay, okay, you, you like to do that kind of thing. Okay, cool, let's, let's, let's change things so we can do that. And all of it was with this fluidity. So when, even when we did the measuring, and the measuring was part of... Um, is using a, a technique called ultrasonic non-destructive testing, which uses ultrasound waves to an analyze cracks. You can analyze the depth of cracks, but you can also find other kind of uh, things about the cracks. And then you then, if you're a mechanical engineer, you then use that to try and estimate when the breakage of that material will be. Uh, and the idea is that concrete as a quasi-brittle material has tons of cracks in it. So often those cracks are inside the material, so you can't see them on the, on the front. Uh, and you aren't trying to say, it's not that you see a crack and say, shit, we're going down. It's that the material exists with cracks. Fractures are a part of this material life. Uh, and you have to then play a game around when you think that that is going to then present a problem or when that's fine. Uh, and so we were really interested in the process of doing that. We had a little, you know, we, we actually inscribed um, the, the, the ultrasonic reading of the crack onto the wall, but we did it in a very, very like soft way. So you kind of couldn't see it unless you were looking very, very closely. Uh, and then we didn't also want to kind of make that explicit. We wanted to kind of have that revealed. But we, more than, more than that, it just became a way of thinking. It became a way of thinking from the cracks. And I think that, <clears throat> so to, and what you said is really apt about like the kind of physical representation that allows us to, convey some of these quite abstract um, ideas because we do do that a lot um, and like you know we, we've, we've, we've been doing it since the beginning right we did it with the banana boxes we did it with the pallets in rebel space like um, material has always been something that we've found has been able to help us communicate a story um, because there's always relationships with material to the wider structures and systems that it's produced from and also relates to um, and with this one, it was it was kind of interesting because like to to be like plain about it, when we first when they first asked us about the Barbican, we were probably coming off the back of like some kind of hostile and really like draining um, projects within formal institutions. So we said we kept saying no to a lot of people. So we don't want to do that anymore. We need to strategize. We've got some stuff that we want to say and build. So just allow it for a little bit, and then. And they, John kept asking, oh, you want to do this, you want to do this. And I guess the point was that we were sitting around and we were like, the problem is, is that we actually don't, we don't necessarily care about what can, what can be established within the closed walls of the building. And we also feel a little bit disenchanted by it because we've had experiences in the past. And also because like the project we did with the Vienna East was a lot about distributing. We kept saying to people, you know, the point of this project isn't about what goes on in the building afterwards. The point is what you can do in local areas. The point is, if you're interested in the lives of young people and the relationships, you need to be thinking about what you're doing in those centres because the work's being done. You just need to think about, support that and kind of figure out your role within that, not, your, not their role within your building. So we came to this project and that, we were already like, we don't care about what goes on in there. That's one thing. Then, we were all, then came 
Them's the brakes as a as a catchphrase, which obviously you know came from the you know our ex prime minister Boris Johnson, and it kind of means you know like that's just life, that's what happens, right? Um, and what we were trying to do is convey this like not only are we personally not um, not kind of super concerned with it, actually as a system, these kind of heavily centralised systems are are cracking. They're no, they are, they're, we can see within our practice because we've had the benefit of being able to work outside of realms and also within realms, we can see that actually all the ideas are being produced by those outside. And these organisations are desperate to get their hands on those ideas because they're running out of ideas. They're running out of relevance. They're also, from a kind of funding point of view, it's becoming difficult to keep on um, committing to these huge London institutions. So it is already falling apart. The, 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 the logic is falling apart. Then also enter concrete, which was supposed to be this, you know, eternal material, right? That has now been undone as well. So that in itself is falling apart before you've even seen any cracks. That is also, that, the assumptions that that was built on, falling apart as well. And then luckily, we, we, I think it's Mel found this, a way of reading concrete, which allows you to see the way that it cracks, because it's a brittle material. So the idea of a crack we had overlaid, we'd, come, we'd kind of worked through all of these ideas and conveniently the material itself speaks to what we were thinking. And we could actually just marry those and start to look at a way of reading very intimately the material and overlaying all of these, these, um, these kind of structural or systemic issues the way you want to see it. And what we found is just like with the banana boxes, it, the material speaks to it as well. I don't know if there's anything you want to add no, don't feel like you have to. I was going to talk about the design of it, but I don't think that's necessary. I think I think you're good. I think we're good. Well, maybe actually there's a question I had for you about mm. just the experience of, well, first of all, to clarify, were you actually living? <laughs> <laughs> I was there every day, <laughs> every single day. And it was really an experience. And I think um, I think this idea of like testing and, and trialing and, and all of these things is really important because it's a big part of our practice. But it was it was also like... Um, a really big um, challenge and lesson but it was really fun as well um, in terms of working with because the Barbican works with contractors as well so they have contractors that have been there for years and years and years and then some who are like occasional staff so sometimes they do um, front of house stuff sometimes they do contracting things just depending on the experience and mm -hmm. all of those all of those things and it was interesting because you had a mix of people coming from carpentry backgrounds from stage design from just kind of doing odd jobs or some of them really interested in what we were doing based off like recycled materials. So everybody had these really specific um, backgrounds. Um, and then when they were invited to test, you could tell the ones who were like really interesting in like, just like figuring out how to make some like um, small MDF fixings that would help with the, the construction of the materials. Because one of the main things in the design was that we, um, similar to the non-destructive testing aspect of things, is that we wanted to make sure that there were the least amount of um, drillings and holes in the material so that we could redistribute them very easily. So we were thinking about how things connect and latch on and fix into things rather than drilling and, and, and hammering and nailing and all of those things. Um, so that was an interesting test in itself. Also understanding people's skills and expertise and placing them in the right section because these materials, again, like with majority of the projects that we um, do when it comes to salvaging materials is we haven't worked with them before. So we hadn't worked with there's um, this concrete um, concrete soaked um, chipboard. We hadn't worked with um, uh, this, this uh, specific black cork, like um, cutting it, cutting it, and figuring out how to place it in these um, structures that we designed, which was a curve within the curve. Um, 
essentially just a very simple way of, of getting people to interact with the space because the curve is a huge, vast space. And normally your eyes are, are normally directed up and around and everywhere else. And, and our interest was keeping people very close to the ground and grounded because that's where a lot of the readings were happening that we were doing. Um, and it's also the best place for people to interact and to play and to run and jump and slide and do all of these things. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if you'd said that you had been sleeping there because I could imagine this whole process of transforming that gallery space into a kind of conduit of material redistribution, but also a conduit of various forms of social engagement and events is incredibly laborious. It's a logistical, uh, logistically complex process where you're managing so many moving parts that seems to transcend what might ex be expected of any other kind of artist exhibiting in that space, where you produce the work, you install it, and you step back. And then you take it down, it's either sold or trashed, and that's the end. In this case, there's a long precursor to the exhibition, which is establishing these bonds between other grassroots practices and devising ways in which they can make use of the platform that you're creating, but also then, uh, also as well, just producing this material conduit and library. So in retrospect, like, is that something you would do again? <laughs> or how would you do it differently to, to avoid the kind of, what I imagine would, was a lot of, a lot of work? Go on, no, I was just going to say, like, I think that is one thing that um, we do forget every time we work with institu institutions is that normally artists do not install their own work. They hire the contractor, they come in for the few checks, and then they leave and they and they let it happen. They come back for the opening. I never forget that. No. I, I always forget it. No, I actually no. always forget it because it's only when you have to start... Um, having the meetings mid-build with the different people that you, you should be talking to, like uh, head of comms and head of production and health and safety and, mm -hmm. and all of these people mid-build that you then go, wow, <laughs> this has taken up a lot of time. And actually, normally you'd come in for those meetings and the work could be happening and you'd, everybody would make comment on the things that was happening according to your design. Um, and... I mean, it's something that I personally enjoy. I enjoy, I enjoy the build process, so I, I wouldn't want to take myself away from it too much. But then there is a conversation to be had about when the artist is doing the work. The, the, um, there's a conversation around what that means for all of the rest of the departments that need to speak to you and mm -hmm. that need to have your opinion on something or need to have your say about something. Um, and then also just how that, ins how that install process works because the demand is, 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 is twice as heavy and there's no recognition for that, that you, you have decided to be a part of that build. There's no kind of understanding of, um, of, of your time commitments. There's no kind of, um, uh, you, it's, it's a weird, it's weird how you're spoken to. You're spoken to half as the artist and half as the contractor. Um, and then there's, there's very high levels of respect. And then there's also like, why hasn't this been done kind of conversations and you're, and, and you do kind of think about, if I wasn't, if I was another artist, you know, the people before us and after us, and even in the other, in the art gallery space, in the Barbican, not in the Curve, you do think about how they would have been spoken to and how they would have been treated during that process. Um, so it does become an eye opener. Maybe for you guys, you, 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 it's always on your mind. But maybe I was just deep in the build yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I forgot about it. But like that did take a lot in terms of managing um, 
and something that we 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 know that we have to kind of raise um way before the build if if, if ever in the future something similar comes along it's just that um there is a difference between the two um and and that needs to be worked through and that needs to be figured out from from very early doors because um if we have decided to it's not um to anyone's detriment it's because we want we want to be a part of that build for whatever mm-hmm. reason that is and that shouldn't be taken for granted I mean, it seems to be a, a struggle inherent to a process of working that is inherent, that is by nature contingent and flexible and soft versus the kind of rigid, finite and ultimately brittle process that an institution might be used to in terms of forming an agreement with an artist to make a, a piece of work in a gallery. And so... That's, I think that's where the struggle is most interesting for me, how you start to make accommodations for this meandering, very flexible, very changeable process of exhibiting work. Um, on, on this point, I think like um, that's from a very practical lens, but also with a kind of, in, in referring to the ideas that we were exploring in the Barbican <coughs> in that exhibition, we haven't like properly like talked about what, whether we would like it's the idea that we would do it again is kind of in, is different for a practice like us because as Akil said we work we've worked with a lot of institutions not of them but in them and we've always we're always looking for ways to test ideas but we're very very committed to i to an idea to a series of ideas um, and the Barbican was was many, many things, but it was also a commitment to this idea of the, the distribution of resources, be it, also, be it material, be it financial, be it kind of programmatic, but the distribution of resources. And I think we've, we've continually committed to that idea. And actually we've started, now we've, well, at one point it was atta- we attached ourselves to using kind of a material within an area. Actually, recently we've started to use material within within the institution itself, um, which relates to this idea about institutional decline and, and the position that these institutions are playing within the current, the contemporary narrative. Um, and we're still on that idea mm. because maybe everyone has a role in the, the revolution, right? We all have our roles to play. And perhaps we see our role as like, you'll look back and you'll think to yourself, in the moments where these things started to fail and crumble, how weird was it that there was a group of guys who were building exhibitions from their waste, from stuff they're about to throw out, right? Actually, that is on the exhibition program is they're building stuff from stuff that people have attached no value to, not a little bit of value, zero value to. But then you'll look closer and you'll say, they weren't just building stuff, they were actually distributing stuff. The build was just the front. That was just a, 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 that was like, that was an excuse, exactly. That was, a, a design is an excuse to distribute material across to different spaces, to, to start and to continue conversations that we're having with um, organizations that are doing that work. That is really the kind of, the you know, the hub of all the terms everyone's interested in, cultural production, all of these kinds of things. It's all happening in these places. And that, the, we're using that as an excuse for us to enter. And there's more projects where we're gonna do a, the same thing. What all we need to do is a, as an organization is make sure that we're super clear on how that institution or space is gonna receive our idea and how they're gonna be able to facilitate that and where we're gonna to have to do a bit more dancing to, to distract people or where we can be a bit more upfront about it. 
um, there was a concept about within it, which was a closing down sale. That's, I think, the best way to describe what this concept is. Is like we, it happens a lot in the high street that we our studio is in proximity to in Croydon High Street. Is like you have these closing down sales where people are announcing that everything must go, everything must go, and we're really kind of obsessed with that idea that everything must go because it's like we see it out in the in these local centres. And we see it in these local centres that have been historically underinvested and left to rot, right? And actually, what we're trying to do is take that precedent and start, to, and we're doing our own closing down sales within all of these spaces. Some of them might know, some of them might not know. <laughs> um, but we need to continue that, that idea. And actually, we're really committed to how we do that. So if we work in that capacity, it will be kind of Trojan horsing. And we're gonna, there's a few projects we've got coming up where we, we're testing a very, very similar idea. Yeah, very much so. And, and even ones where we've stretched the idea, like stretched the different kind of directions of it. The, 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 the design of the excuse or architectural excuse is something that came up when we had um, a conversation with Communal, who are a group in, an architecture group in Mexico, Jessica Carrera, Mariana uh, Grayales. And um, we, and they were like, yeah, for us, um, architecture is an excuse. It's just a, it's a, it's just a, a front in order to do the the, the groundwork, uh, and that really shook us because I think that is that kind of said what we were have always thought, um, and that sometimes then presents itself to sometimes to institutions or to kind of more architectural inclined like uh, worlds as this kind of, you know, DIY is the word we get a lot, but like also kind of like off the cuff, ad hoc, you know, and, and to 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 ream through these words because. Often the design isn't something that's just down on paper. We're not trying to, it's, it there's not, isn't a didactic expression of what the concept is and then what we want. Uh, very, very often we see what the things are and then we work with what that is. Uh, that becomes a mode, for example, in the mosaic rooms where we have an exhibition out in the, in the garden mosaic rooms, there's a Palestinian one gallery. As a result of that, we're doing a lot of work in Palestine and we've also done some work with uh, uh, kids in Earl's Court Youth Centre in West London. Um, the, the work was the workshops we were doing, were the ideas that we were trading with. We needed a way of manifesting that at the very end. And so, and so we, we, we gave ourselves one constraint, which was whatever you lot already have, we'll work with. So before, you give, before we give you a design, you give us an itinerary. What do you have in your storage? What, what do you have in the storage? What's in the garden? What's the, what, what do you have that stuff that's lying around? And we'll make that work. If that means that the thing doesn't look amazing, if it means it can't go on design, if it means that there's, because actually there's not enough two by fours and some of the two by fours got matched with two by twos, so be it. And our building that is also a testament to how we want that thing to look. Again, going back to the problematization of the, of the photo, what we want our stuff to look like, we want someone to look at our stuff and say, I can do that. Doesn't matter if it's in the Barbican, it doesn't matter if it's in the Mosaic Queen's Garden, doesn't matter if it's here in the studio. We want people to look at the stuff and say, I, I could do that. What, it would, it would, I would, I'd, be, I'd be really perturbed if, if, if someone was to say like, that thing looks like, uh, that, thing looks like I, that thing looks outside of my scope of understanding. Like if, if a kid from South London or from wherever came to this thing and thought, like, I don't even know how I'd run that. I don't even know where I would start to do something like that. You know, like there has to be the mark of, there has to be the mark of people on these structures, or on these buildings, or on these whatever. There has to be the mark of the mistakes of people too. Mm -hmm. That I think is part of this working, uh, this working idea of, of, of the aesthetic. It's the same with the Astro Gates, who, as you explained, um, 
um, a lot of the work is around social organizing and activism and creating resources and social networks for artists and also just community leaders to improve their situation, mm. to get access to resources, to knowledge and expertise. But it's framed as an art practice. Mm. And uh, I think similarly, this kind of dissipation or redistribution is at play in the work that you do. Um, but maybe there's a more explicit relationship you're exploring between this kind of ad hoc or makeshift or improvised process of, of creating the work and the institutions that could support it mm-hmm. or benefit from it or be transformed by it ultimately, I guess. Like it seems to be, if we go back to the Emsa Brakes exhibition, the aspirations seem to be one of repurposing the Barbican, it's understanding it as an institutional force with a certain form of soft power or cultural power that could then be redirected or redistributed. So that, um, I think as you've described it elsewhere, this is, this is from the teaching at the AA actually, but where you're kind of encouraging uses of the space to dissipate and decentralize the value and resource of the institution rather than conserve and reproduce it from within the institution. So I guess with that all in mind, <laughs> you can tell I'm just trying to like work it out. Yeah. But it's but is it, we've got a good way of like yeah. telling of like explaining what we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please like, please continue. Okay, with that all in mind, um, there are uh, frictions that emerge when this, when this process of translating an institution into a more useful and outwardly look, looking infrastructure uh, takes place. And I think it's those frictions that I want to touch on now. What's interesting to me is that for whatever reason, you're drawn to institutions. Like you can't seem to get away from them. <laughs> As, 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 as much as, much as um, you critique them and as problematic as they are, there is this weird symbiosis that's emerged yeah. in, in the more recent work you've been doing. And I think I want to analyze now where it went wrong with the Barbican and um, where it could go right in the future if this kind of work is to continue. So... Joy. Joy. I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of the week, about being drawn to institutions. We're institutionalised, that's our problem. <laughs> We're institutionalised. I think, you know what, I think that um, being kind of reflective on this idea about being drawn to, when we started to scope out opportunities um, and when we were starting to build our practice, you know, like we always say to our students, like we, you don't just land at 21, 22 with all of these fully formed ideas about institutional critique and stuff. If you do, you're chatting rubbish because you, you don't have the experience to back it up. Um, so we were keen to, 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 to build that, to build experience and to test ideas and to develop. Um, and I think because of the kind of slightly changing tide, because of the way that, the you know, in, in, in a London specific, the GLA were funding certain initiatives, there was a lot of galleries that were going through certain infra- um, certain organisational changes and there was a lot of pressure to then introduce 
a different idea. I think there was a lot of funding that was coming from places like Arts Council and the National Institute, which was encouraging people to bring in community-focused practices. So there was a door that opened. Um, and, you know, like most people, we, went, we walked through the door. Um, and I think in walking through that door, we did attach ourselves to um, a, a kind of a, a space. We, we attached ourselves to a, a kind of um, a curatorial landscape, to an institutional landscape where people saw that we were able to pull together these projects within these spaces. We saw it as an opportunity to test our own emerging and radical ideas, and it still is. But that kind of defined a big part of our practice. It defined a big part of the space that we navigate. And I think we can be honest about that um, and acknowledge that even if we all always try and like kind of not become wedded to that idea, not become, not try to kind of reproduce the structures that we work against. But we can acknowledge that that is the space that we, our first eight years as a practice, um, especially for kind of five of those years, that is a kind of space that, that we, um, we started to sharpen our tools within. Um, I think that we're, as we're kind of growing and scaling, not in a kind of traditional way, but as we're developing our own um, approach to scale, we, we, we perhaps are moving away from them in a certain type of way, or maybe just changing our relationship. Let's see what happens. Um, I think then to the to the Barbican, from where I'll go on a kind of larger scale, and I think maybe someone else can speak to the detail, is like within those, because of in particular the material, but also the overall framework, because we are pr proposing a different way of valuing things, um, a different, an alternative value system, which I think a lot of people like the sound of. It sounds sexy, but we're not joking when we're talking about it. We are genuinely talking about, from a kind of being very literal, bringing in something that was on the road and bringing it into the gallery. We are talking about, you know, um, when we talk about building stuff, when we say we're involved in the build, we're talking about cutting, chopping, sawing, all that stuff on the gallery floor. We're talking about, when we talk about um, the idea we want people to immerse themselves in, it's not about, you know, perch yourself on it and take a photo, sit on it, climb on it, run on it, do what you can on it. And we, we say that, but because we're not talking about a kind of homage to, we're not talking about a, a kind of, a different way of looking at the old structure, we're talking about a new way of valuing something. When that is actually delivered in practice, the friction arises um, and it can come anywhere. What it feels like is a kind of stress test was performed on the Barbican's capacity to sustain this new value system. Um, because in addition to the material library, in addition to this... Um, the kind of concerns around, I guess, turning the gallery into a, an active workshop mm -hmm. and also turning it into a site of real um, celebration, literally hosting a rave exactly. in the space. So the people as well, right? Um, it, it seemed like you're kind of pushing it to its limit and seeing how far it could go in, in holding more from the outside and sharing more with an audience beyond the typical museum goer and ultimately something did break mm. and I think to me that's the most exciting part of the project it's like I was almost waiting for something to break <laughs> <laughs> but then what happened after um, to me seems like the most important part of the whole exhibition what do you do when it breaks mm. and um, the way I understand resolve is as a practice that 
runs towards certain fires, you know? And this was a fire that you ran away from. And I want to understand why. And there's no critique there. Maybe I'm using the wrong. I'm not framing no, this properly. Mm. But you, you understandably recoiled from mistreatments, mainly by the front of house staff and um, people on the PR team of the Barbican. Um, and I want to I know more about that decision um, to move back when at the same time the space you created also seemed to afford a possible forum for addressing these issues within. Mm -hmm. the, the trick now is going to be saying this succinctly in a way that's not like too emotionally charged. Um, so because of the, the way that we're pushing uh, the institutional relations within the Barbican, uh, because of the way that we, I think, were operating, but also I think there was an underlying, um, there's an underlying sense of non-seriousness from the Barbican. Uh, we, we aren't a marketable art practice. We don't have big sexy images. You know, we, we, we aren't going to fill the turbine hall with big sexy stuff. And you're not going to see us on tube maps and shit uh, like other Barbican curve artists. Um, we, 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 we weren't necessarily being treated in that way. Uh, and, it's, and that's difficult to say because there were lots of people in the Barbican that were treating us that way. John, who I've mentioned, is an example of. Lots and lots of the production team, Jamie, for example, a good example. There were also people in front of house that loved what we were doing. So it's difficult to talk about front of house as being the perpetrators uh, as, as a group of people because there were lots of people within that group who weren't, that, who weren't perpetrating things at all. If anything, they were facilitating. But an organisation that's defunct, an organisation that's not working as it should, uh, and in which the, the administrative problems are then manifesting of these types of violences, I think produces those types of areas. It produces areas in which people are able to uh, manifest and, and, and enact those violences. And so it only takes the work of a few individuals in order to do that. Um, and so that, that kind of undercurrent of non-seriousness was manifesting in a series of moments uh, where by which we were demonstrably and irrefutably mistreated. Uh, the first of which was at the opening, when members of our family and also our friends were being shouted at by people from the front of house staff uh, and were being uh, treated badly. The second one of the second moments was when we walked in as a group of black artists, black and brown artists, uh, and we were shouted at by one of the front of house staff to empty our bags and to share our bags and, and as if we were in some kind of castle real system. Uh, a very strange thing to have done when you're walking into your own space, number one, uh, but also a strange way to be talked about if you're anyone. For that to be the first thing someone says to you when you're working, can you imagine that you're, work, you're walking into the Tate, no, you're walking into Lubaina Hamid's show, and no, hey, this is things about whatever. The first thing you do is that. So, lots of strange things. Second, that's the second thing, uh, and the th by by the third thing, it's probably important to preference, and I, maybe we spoke about this in the statement, maybe we didn't. That we're all from South London, and it takes us to dislocate our lived experiences in order to act civilly when it comes to these things. We, we aren't victims of, the, the, of, of these violences, we aren't, so we aren't passive victims of these violences, but, um, and we certainly aren't experts in navigating these violences in a kind of very, in a civil way. That 99% of our brains are saying, all right, what, how are we going to act? 
Like, you know, like wh wh you know what I mean? 99.9 of my brain is thinking, at what point am I going to lamp this guy? Like, because right now I'm, I'm, I'm fighting. I'm, I'm, I'm doing mental backflips to try and understand his point of view, their point of view, rather than doing what I want to do, which is to punch him in the face. So all of this is good, like, that, and that is the exhausting bit. Not actually having, being subjected to those things. Um, it's the exhausting bit is trying to deceive yourself into thinking that there is some logic behind this that you don't quite understand. The third thing happens, we're at the gut level rave, which is a huge problem for lots of administrative parts of the Barbican. We're working very, very closely with lots of different bits of the organisation in order to work it out. There are some really, like, um, really terrible undercurrents, like the police are trying to be involved in some ways, trying to find out the details of people in the party. Uh, and, we're, and, we're, and there's a big fight to pull this thing off. Um, at the end of the um, rave, at the end of the party, uh, we're there with the producer and the curator in the space, uh, and we are being spoken at in a way that, I mean, is just unthinkable, really, uh, and pushed out of the space, quite kind of really, really, really pushed um, out of our space at the very end when we're debriefing with our curator and with, with the producer. Um, and it's just very difficult to think that any other artist would be, would, have, would be pushed out of their own space like that, or any other kind of recognisable artist would be pushed out of anyone else's space like that. Um, and, it, it, and again, like the backflips are really going, and at this point, which we definitely didn't mention in, 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 the, um, in the letter, but I'll go back to task afterwards, is that we, Seth writes a letter, an email, on the day of the of the very last thing that happens it can be a couple of days like saying we give up that's what the title of the email is the title of the email is we give up he says sends a letter to me and i say we've got ch i say change the letter i said we, we can't have the title of that letter but that's the point that we're at this is the point of the email and this is we're already at this point that's the important thing we're already at this point we're already at a point at which we say we are tired of the backflips we're already at a point at which we say we don't we don't even need to be here we said no to this whole thing. We are like, we're, we're not selling this work afterwards. We're not being treated in a way in which there's going to be something that kind of rests on this here before. We're, we're our everyday experiences are out actually in the world and we choose to be in these institutions and so we can choose not to be in these institutions. Uh, and so the final straw, the straw that breaks the camel's back is that Radio Al-Hara, who are a Palestinian liberation organisation. They work through, they work sonically, they work um, through radio and, and, and the kind of and selection of music and also curation in order to express that. And that's a sentiment that we feel very, very entrenched in. It was also um, not by coincidence that we were in Palestine a few months before this happened and that I had met Elias there. Um, is invited into um, to speak as part of a, a programme which is very tangential to ours, but in, under the cusp of ours. We didn't organise that programme. Uh, and is told by one of the comms team, an anonymous member of the comms team, uh, and the, the comms team's anonymity is also part of one of the problems of this Barbican situation, this, this instrumental situation, in that there are, there are administrative failures that, allow people, that are allowing this person to act with anonymity. Um, and and say, and says something along the lines of, would you be able to um, not speak about free Palestine in order to safeguard the audience? Um, Seth and I um, are, uh, hear about this as we get to the Barbican because we are and we aren't even in there for the event. We're in there to do something else because there are lots of tangential things that are happening as a result. 
And this particular one, we're facilitating an installation with Poor Collective with some of the materials. We need to grab some of the materials. Poor Collective and Maya Ardella, and Maya Ardella, another fact, fantastic practitioner. Um, and we are trying to take those in, in, in materials out in order to give them to, to them. Uh, we are, con we are uh, confronted with this situation. We speak to the person who is programming, Abiba Kulabali, um, who is another amazing, amazing practitioner, also runs Brixton Community Cinema. Um, and there isn't really a discussion on what the act is and what we are going to do. I, it's, it's, I think Seth and I pretty unanimously and fairly immediately are like, this is, this is now done. Like, this is, this is now the end. This is a full stop. Um, the question now is how? The question is now how? Um, and I wish I could tell you it was as... I wish I could tell you it was as, um, as like, kind of calm and collected as, like, putting a full stop in it. But it, it really wasn't. It was, for, for us, that was a huge affront um, on the people that we invite into the space because we wouldn't want to be invited into a space in which we are then harmed. Um, so a huge affront on the integrity of Radio O'Hara and, and um, the, the integrity of, of moves towards Palestinian liberation but also Palestinian visibility in these massive institutional contexts. Um, and then also a very, um, a very petty, uh, but still hurtful affront on us, you know, like that we that that we didn't matter enough to treat our guests with 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 a certain respect. That if you, if, regardless of how you feel towards a guest, you couldn't even extend some respect that you might have had for us to the to that guest. Um, so. We had to, so then world breaks, yeah. and we had to get out of there. And uh, it, yeah, go on. It, no, it's interesting because, like, I'm thinking about what you said about the fires and like running towards fires. And I'm, it must be said, this is the reason why I was, um, why I, not that I say no to bad things, but why I was like, oh yeah, we should do this podcast because you got a very like you obviously have done your like research. You got a very good way of like understanding and like retelling people's practice to them and it's re like really really good like really really interesting and really like good to have a conversation with someone who you feel like you're kind of learning from your reflections as well um that's just a side note but um like there is a there's an element of that and it's not the, i think what we were also trying to grapple with as we were trying to leave which it's funny you say it was inevitable because a lot of people have said that to me a lot of people have been like yeah, a lot of people have been like, it was inevitable. Um, there was an inevitability behind it. And I, and I guess in an, in, to an extent there, there, there was. But what I think is slightly, what was so difficult was that it's not like we haven't been told no before. Like we, you know, because we, when we run toward the, when we work in this space, we run towards this fires, whatever you want to call it. Um, what we try and do is communi communicate. There's a commitment to working in a certain type of way. We want to push. We're always going to push. We're always going to challenge. We're always going to try and test things. If you say that can't run, fine, right? We'll try and we'll try a different way through. We'll try a different way to push and to, to weave. And if it says, look, you you're going to try and do these things, that is not going to work. Then it's you know that's us because you play with fire, you're going to get burnt, right? So we need it's we also want to scope out some of those red lines and some of those blockages, and because it's interesting for us, that's a way that we develop our own practices to scope out some of these blockages. Um, and to, to navigate them and then to propose solutions to them. What was happening at the barbecue was like, it, at, at moments, it was, it was just like a personal, a personal attack. 
it was actually like, you would leave and you'd be like, do I, do me as Seth, do I want to be spoken to like that? I actually don't think I do. And I certainly don't want to be invited into a space to then be treated like that. Um, irrespective of all my aspirations through Resolve, irrespective of anything, it goes back to just your, you, me as a soul, as an individual. Like, I felt upset as a person, no matter what, like, separate from everything that we wanted to achieve. Um, I was bare upset. We were both so upset in the cab home. And then you just got to think to yourself, okay, is, <laughs> is this what, what we, we want to continue doing? Like, do, do I want to risk it happening again? Do I want to risk, risk it happening to someone else? Um, for, them, for, the, for a project of the Barbican, no, absolutely not. Um, and so we had to, we, for us, we had no choice but to remove ourselves um, in order to protect our own bodies and our own minds. The idea could continue because the idea was bigger than just what we could do in that space. So the closing down cell continued afterwards. Um, and that was a really, from, it was lovely. It was diff more difficult because as you can see in the studio, the listeners won't be able to see, but you will, there's still stuff from the Barbican in here. So we didn't get rid of everything um, because, you know, actually like it became a- Because we're in Croydon. Because we're in <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Because it became a logistical challenge that we couldn't, you know, haven't yet, but we will overcome it. Um, but to be able to continue that, to be able to still have that process of redistribution meant that we could con continue to commit to the idea. So the idea, no matter if, if we left that space or didn't, the idea continued um, and the project actually continued and the project concluded in a way that was committed to that initial idea. It was just that we had to remove our bodies from that space um, in a very kind of human-centered way and I think a way that um, us as, as you know, black practitioners and practitioners who are associated with a lot of other creatives and practitioners who have lived experience of the issues that they're trying to intervene within will understand that quite deeply. Um, and I think are often historically encouraged to forget, en encouraged to forget this idea that you do have a, like a body and a soul and a mind who, which deserves to be respected, even if you're trying to fight the good fight and you're trying to do work that is really speaking to these traumatic experiences, that doesn't mean you have to endure them every single time. And just to be clear, like there's no judgment being passed no, not around, at all. I know there's not around the essential act of self-preservation, which is what you're describing. But I think what, um, what complicates all of this is the fact that any institution is comprised of individuals who make individual decisions. Yeah, yeah. And I think what what becomes the challenge here is at what point do you level the accusations against individuals versus a kind of wholesale critique of the institution itself? Because if we're talking about frontline workers, essentially, in the museum context, um, are they trained to do this kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Do, do they even know? Well, this is the thing. It's interesting that you say that because it's like, it's, it's kind of, it's difficult, because I I'm, I'm, I actually need to speak to my friend about this um, after this. Because uh, the, like, the project was an institutional critique, the, the way we left was like, it was like, it, was, it wasn't like a kind of profound institutional critique, right? It wasn't like a, a moment of like profound, like, okay, this is how the Barbican institution is. Actually, it was a moment of just, of, uh, of repetitive, like, violent moments, which we knew were 
a risk. Mm. We all understand it's a risk. We actually under, we all, I think everyone has a kind of certain understanding of how um, hostility festers in some of these places. Um, so it was a known evil rather than a kind of, it didn't, so it didn't make its way into our much more kind of broad and, um, and kind of quite deeply systemic critique of the institution itself of the Barbican and how our project fit within that narrative. This actually wasn't, it didn't fit within that. It didn't fit within the kind of framework that we were trying to explore because it's something that we all understand quite deeply. Um, it's something that we all understand and we all know we have to navigate. Um, and therefore, like you said, it's like the line that you draw, we, did, we wanted to make sure it wasn't us saying, hey, like, guess what? Like, you know, like, you know racism exists within this institution. Like, because, you know, we all know that. We heard the Barbican stories. And, you know, we know how these things are. Um, it, was, it, it was more, yeah, it was more just like, what are you willing to endure? Mm. It was related to the running towards and the running the way of the fires. And it was, it, was, it was bringing that same point, I think I've got more clarity about, is that us kind of removing ourselves from this particular fire in this particular instance... Um, like Seth has just said, was 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 to do mainly with self-preservation and and and, and all the other things discussed before. Um, but I think even though it will be potentially changed, I don't think this is necessarily going to be correct. But then when we were talking to Radio Ahara about how to respond and and going through our statement letter with them because we wanted to make sure it, it coincided with their um, with their thoughts and their kind of their movement as well. Um, initially, the conversation was around still having this, the discussion that was meant to be had with Radio O'Hara in the Barbican space, um, which is essentially them moving towards <laughs> mm. um, and, and a huge fire. However, for them, the conversation was more around they don't necessarily get these types of platforms to talk about their movement and their work. And this is a fantastic opportunity to do that because actually they're being silenced in a lot of other spaces which is not something that we, in the heat of things, really considered, but something to consider out. There's, there's, there's different ways to address these kind of violences, but then we do have to then think about the people that we're bringing in, our wider movement, our wider audience, to make sure that the work is still the main thing that's being highlighted and, and, and pushed forward. And, and I think that speaks to the, the Barbican closing down, is that we, you know, the, the, the statement was we out, but for me, in my head, in brackets, was always we out and we move because we don't want people to continue to keep talking about this because the work that we're doing is so much more important than just this unfortunate incident. And the fact that, that we were given the, the capacity to go to Sona Centre um, by the grace of um, uh, um, Armin and Kwame of, um, of Kin Structures, um, and then we also brought the materials back here was a real eye opener to just how important this idea of, of redistribution is for our practice and just allowed us to think about it for, for our own selves in our own time in our own space that was comfortable and safe for us, um, which, was, which was successful for, for what it needed to be for the time and the capacity that we had. Um, and it has allowed us to then um, introduce it into another project, um, hopefully that we'll be doing in Liverpool um, very, very soon. So, um, Fortunately for, for myself, I wasn't actually um, um, a recipient of a lot of the instances that the at Kiel and Seth were just because I wasn't around um, at the time. Um, so I speak about it with a, a lot less passion, but it's still very, extremely hurtful that, you know, it, it, I, think, I think just the, the, 
the frontline aspect of it was quite wild for me personally because I was inviting a lot of people into that space and I was telling people to go and experience and the fact that that at any point that also could have happened to them was extremely distressing mm. but I think for us it's 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 making sure that you know we 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 do work in these we do choose to work in these institutions that's a decision made on us and we know exactly what we're doing and and now we've got like a wide range of experience about what that outcome could be but it's making sure that all of this work that we've done for the past how many years is not sullied by some front of house people in a in an institution that we don't necessarily want to stay in it's that those the the work and the methodologies and the practices and the people are are the main forefront of our organization it just seems like such a perfect case study and so to me the artifact of the exhibition that we can analyze and reflect on is the letter you wrote, in a way. This is part of the, the work, or this is part of the piece or the installation. And so it just it makes me wonder, what is next? If you were to embark on another process of infrastructuralizing an institution, making it useful, repurposing it uh, to lend itself to um, a much wider and diverse audience, what do you do differently? <clears throat> Whilst it was and has been important, just like you said, to operate in these spaces, um, we, as a practice, we, we don't believe in, in um, speaking for everyone here, but I don't think we're super wedded to permanence. Mm. Um, and, I don't, and we're certainly not wedded to the kind of permanence or like continuous evolution of our position within one realm. So we always try and move on and move and move into new spaces. So that was our time. And this maybe, let's say, from 2018 to 2023, that's what, you know, we operated in that space. We were in a lot of different institutions. Um, but I do think, especially Mel, Seth and Akil, I do think that we're moving away from, from, from that time. Where we're, where we're always in these different spaces and leaving ourselves very vulnerable to all these different shots because we've seen actually that we're, we're kind of, every moment we have an opportunity to, we're pushing ourselves further and further and further out. Even if we're using the resources and the material and the kind of connections that we've made to, to do that. So to end now, in my mind, the ultimate institution um, is really the discipline of architecture itself. When it comes to this conversation, um, not, not that I revere it, <laughs> it's not the ultimate uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for me personally, but it's, it's the ultimate in the context of the discussion we're having. Mm -hmm. And yet it feels like a kind of elephant in the room. Like, <laughs> if we're talking about this Trojan horse maneuver, which that's a turn of phrase I hear increasingly mm. in this kind of work. Yeah, yeah. What, at what point do you get back into architecture and change it from change it from the inside? I just I keep wondering what it what it looks like for the three of you to to design, mm. to shape a piece of city, to shape uh, an environment that people convene in in a way that is in some sense more permanent, despite yeah. the fact that you seem to be moving away, moving further away from permanence. Yeah. He's uh, sharp, you know. <laughs> Too sharp for us, I mean. I don't know. That's a lie, that's a lie. No, 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 you know what? It is. Because it, it, like, it does come back to something. Yeah, yeah, it does. 
and I think like there, there's probably like a couple of straightforward bits of the answer, but you know we'll meander through the whole answer as we've been doing this whole time. But I think that because the straightforward bits are like in a very similar way to lots of other practices at the moment, uh, perhaps some that we haven't mentioned. Um, I think that when it comes to uh, how we then kind of con concentrate some of those energies towards changing the city, or changing our piece of the city, or changing a piece of the city, one of the things that you should be able to expect to see is probably no new building. Like I think that working with the existing fabric will be an obvious one. Uh, and this idea that we build something new, I think will be very, I, 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 I think you shouldn't expect that. You shouldn't expect that we would be that we work towards something that's that's new, but rather how we reappraise, celebrate, inject, remix something that's already there. Um, so that uh, that I think is a fairly obvious one. Uh, and then number two, I think that it will most certainly involve um, lots and lots of groups. Um, I think that it will not be something which you can directly attribute only to us. Um, I think it would be a necessary configuration of like lots of groups uh, and the programmings that, we rehe that we've rehearsed with those institutions where Paul Collector are coming in to do this, where Nasser Abdullahi is coming in to do that, where uh, we're working with um, the homeless charities, we're working with youth centres, we're working with whoever, um, that will be something which is concretised in that capital A architectural project, however it happens to rear its head. Uh, and if it can't be, then it won't be us. So I think those are very. Those are, it's, a, it's a simple way to to narrow down the answer to that question. I think like the the the, the nitty gritty of it, I, I, I'm less sure of it. There is there's also there's also something cyclical, um, kind of circular in it. There's something there's a reintroduction of an old idea because we as practitioners who work in this space, as particularly black practitioners, and also who work within the climate of London, which is like hyper commercialized space where space is such an absolute like a space has actually become. A thing that it's almost like it's not worth asking for because you'll just never fucking you'll never get it. Like it's so difficult to have those conversations that people are, are afraid of having those conversations. And I don't think we should be afraid of having those conversations. We should be able to convey and to communicate our aspirations for space, not for a new space, but for a space nonetheless. Um, and our ones, uh, or our one, sorry, is um, a way of kind of joining up a lot of these different tangents, a way of supporting this ecology of, um, of practices who make space for themselves and their communities, um, a way of um, hosting this kind of material distribution process um, and a way of supporting organisations who are doing work within local communities um, and doing that on, in, in the local community, in a high street um, or adjacent to a high street. Um, there is a, a an old water tower in Croydon that we've been had our eyes on for a couple for a couple of years now, um, and it's beautiful and it's a, a kind of historic building. It's being managed into decline, and our aspiration is and continues to be to set up what we're calling like a, a community design shop. But it's it, the the name is doesn't quite um, touch on what it actually is, and it's a way of of being able to 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 kind of. Um, to host and to grow all of these ideas and to have a space that can kind of grow with those ideas, a space that's programmable, a space that has a kind of workshop and, 
uh, a space to kind of manage material, a space to process material that can support communities, a space for education, a space for kind of sharing our learnings as an organisation and encouraging the, the development of future practices, um, and a space to also kind of support practices beyond this local centre. Um, I once we once visited this this kind of garage slash um, warehouse slash material shop in um, Charlton, and that. I just loved it. I was so inspired by it, but not only because it had everything we needed for that particular install, but because he had, the guy who ran it, I can't remember his name, had the kind of um, attention and care and willingness to support us throughout what we were doing, to ferry material to where we needed it and to support us to kind of um, resolve some of the challenges that we were having. And like, that is an element of this kind of spatial proposition that we have, is a way that we can start to interject all of our ideas and also support the growth of local areas and also the ecology of practices and that's our kind of one of the long-term strategies that we're developing within Resolve Collective is a way of facing those particular groups one being uh, kind of communities and marginalized communities and young people within Croydon and the other being this ecology of black POC and marginalised group-led practices who are making space for themselves and their communities. How can we start to pivot our practice to continue to support these people in like a long-term way? And, and space, as it's been a continuous um, currency for us throughout our, our, um, our practice, it, it, it does make its way into the answer. It's not the only answer, but it certainly makes its way into the answer. So we do have an aspiration for it. Mm. Can you remind me of the question again? <laughs> Basically, where does the architecture come in? What about architecture? Ah, okay. As somebody who's come from architectural like background, I personally, there's nothing more architectural than what we're doing. Like when I was in practice, not that I was in practice for a very long time, compared to actual, you know, other like real, real architects. Um, the way that buildings are isolated for me personally is criminal the way buildings are photographed without people, the way that spaces are photographed without real activity and real meaning is just like, it doesn't mean anything. And so what we're doing in terms of like, like I was just writing down like the consideration of space or the meaning of space in relation to people for me is way more important than just the buildings and the structure and the materials. And everything that we're doing is kind of highlighting everything that's around those spaces to make these, to make these buildings or these spaces more meaningful or more useful or more resourceful um, is 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 it is within the same conversation of, of architecture and and if you don't want to if you don't want to agree, fine. <laughs> but it's I've never been in a situation where the conversation of architecture makes more sense than it does in the way that we're practicing personally. But you're going to be drawing the plans for this the building. Is it. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, isn't it? <laughs> and at the end of the day, CAD is still open. You know? <laughs> Melissa, <laughs> Seth, Akil, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you very much. Really thank you. Yeah. You've been listening to Scaffold. I'm Matthew Blunderfield and I produce the show. The theme music is composed and performed by Luke Blair. Subscribe to Scaffold on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at scaffold underscore podcast. If you like the show, spread the word and leave a rating on iTunes. Thanks to Resolve Collective. Special thanks this week to John Astbury. Thanks as always to Scandalin. And thanks to you for listening. I'll see you next time.